Hey, Reality Church, it's so good to be with you. We are carrying on this incredible sermon series that I think every single one of us needs right now in this season to be focusing on the God that does not change, that's the same yesterday, today, and forever. When everything is so uncertain and it seems like everything in the world is changing, God is not changing. So we're gonna be in Genesis 16 today. Yes, we're in the Old Testament. Yes, we're reading a story about a woman. And we're gonna dive right in this morning and we are gonna start right at verse one. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms and now that she knows she's pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. And then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that you'll be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him and he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees. For she she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Beer Lahai Roy. It is still there between Gehesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. Let's go ahead and pray, church. Jesus, I know that you have something so good for us right now. I know that you have been waiting for this moment to bring a word to our hearts for an encounter that you desire for us. I pray, Holy Spirit, that everybody that's listening right now, whether in this room, in this moment, or through a screen, God, that you would supernaturally just put your hand on their heart and that you would speak right to the place where they need to experience your kindness this morning. Thank you that you are kind and that you are good. We love you, Jesus. Come do your thing, Holy Spirit. Amen. So let's do a little context for this story because this isn't the most popular Sunday school story, right? This isn't maybe a story you're very familiar with. We are in the Old Testament 
And just a few chapters prior to this, God has given Abram this incredible covenant. Now, you might know this guy as Abraham because in just a short while, his name is going to be changed and Sarai is going to become Sarah, but we're talking about the same people. And God has met him and God has given him this covenant. And he said, you know what? I want you to be my people. I'm going to covenant myself to you. I'm going to give you an heir. I'm going to give you a son and your descendants are going to be so numerous. Well, we pick up the story many years later, and the problem is that Sarai is barren, and she hasn't had a child, and they're still waiting for this promise to be fulfilled. And here we find this old couple trying to come up with a plan of how they can see this promise fulfilled. There's a couple of obstacles I just want to tackle before we dive into this story today. Number one, this is an uncomfortable story for us to read because we're talking about Abram and Sarai having slaves. If you're familiar with the story of Abraham, you'll know that there's a lot of really cool things about his life. And even in the New Testament, he's kind of hailed as this, this guy of faith and people kind of look up to him. And it's, and it's easy to think that maybe he is just this amazing guy that never made any mistakes. But the reality is the Bible is filled with imperfect, broken people. And actually, if you read a lot about Abraham's life, you'll, feel, you'll see that this is not the first mistake for him. There is actually other things that you can read about, things that maybe would make you feel uncomfortable. You know, in the story, he and Sarai have slaves, but we shouldn't presume that that's in any way prescriptive of the Bible saying like, yeah, that's a good thing. In fact, if you read through scripture, you're going to see that God says that he is opposed to injustice, that he stands against slavery, that he is about setting the captives free. So we're reading the story through the lens of knowing, okay, these are broken, imperfect people who made some really imperfect choices. The second thing I want to address here is you might look at Sarai and think, well, gosh, classic mistake. She's trying to bring about God's plan in her own strength and her own energy. And listen, I'd love to preach that sermon. I really would, because I know we all do that, right? We all hear a promise from God and it takes too long. We're like, oh my gosh, I got to do some work for Jesus to get this thing done. I do that. I will preach that sermon one day, I promise you, but that is not today's sermon. Because there is not enough in the text for us to say that's exactly what she was planning and that's what she was doing. Because here's the reality, slavery at that time was normalized in that culture. It didn't make it right, doesn't make it any less traumatic and damaging, but it was normal in that culture. Very normal for slave women to be surrogates for children. It's very possible that Sarai thought maybe this is how God's gonna bring about the plan. Maybe this is what he wants to do. So I'm not going to dive down in that direction and talk about that today. Today, I want to talk about the kindness of God. Today, I want to put Hagar at the center of our story, and I want to talk about her. So who is she? Well, we know that she's an Egyptian slave that serves as Sarai's handmaid. We know she's an immigrant. She has no power, no choice, no autonomy. She's objectified. Sarah's like, I'm going to give you to my husband, and then he kind of gives her back, and there's a lot of passing back and forth of blame of this woman who's just an object and doesn't seem to have any value. We know she doesn't have power. She's subjected to cruelty, 
And eventually she runs because she's so invisible. She's so unnoticed. She's so unheard. She runs because Sarai mistreats her. And we find her here in the story having an encounter with God. Now in verse 7, it says, The angel of the Lord found Hagar. Now I want to say something here about this passage because it's a little confusing as we keep reading. It's like the angel of the Lord, but then he starts speaking these promises as if he's speaking like God. And then Hagar looks at him and names him like he's like God. And like, who is this? Is this God? Is this an angel? And we can kind of get caught up in that detail. And so I just want to speak to that for a moment and say that the Hebrew word here literally translates as messenger or envoy. And it was very normal in the customs of those times for an envoy or a messenger to go on behalf of someone influential, maybe a king or a queen, someone of power, and to speak for them, even in the first person, to speak their words, and it would be received as if that person, as if they were embodying the message from that influential, powerful person. And so here we know it's the angel of the Lord meeting Hagar, but really he is embodying the message that God has for her. He's speaking on his behalf. So don't get caught up in that detail. Let's focus on what's really important here. So Hagar, she finds herself on the run. She's in the wilderness and she's in this desert place and this angel of the Lord comes down and meets her. She is not where she was, but she is not yet where she is going. She's in this strange, in-between, awkward place in the journey. And maybe you can relate a little bit to that today. I feel like COVID has put all of us in this strange, in-between place. Like, we can't make plans. It's hard to envision our future. We don't know what we're gonna do a few weeks from now. It's like a fog, we just, we have no idea. But we're not who we were a few months ago. We've all changed, and, and maybe as a result of our circumstances, and maybe because God's working in our life, but we find ourselves in this in-between place. But maybe it's more than that for you. Maybe you find yourself at a crossroads, like Hagar has, and you're wondering if you should change your career. Maybe you're between jobs and you're second guessing where you're living or what you're doing with your life. Maybe you're asking deep questions about a relationship and wondering if you should move forward or if you should let it go. You find yourself in this in-between awkward place. Maybe you're having a lot of questions for God. Maybe you've kind of been going through some spiritual turbulence, some deep things have been unearthed, and you know that there's more freedom and, and more connection with, and intimacy with God, but you're not quite there, but you have all these questions from back there, and you find yourself in this in-between place. And it's so awkward in the in-between place, isn't it? Where things aren't clear, where we don't know what God's doing, where we've been working towards healing and wholeness, and then things start to surface in our life, and we thought, gosh, I thought I dealt with that, and so I'm not healed, but I'm not there, and where am I? And so many questions. Nobody likes the in-between place. We want to rush out of the in-between place. It's not super comfortable to encounter God in an in-between place where our lives don't feel organized or successful. There's no clarity. Everything feels shuffled. It's hard to meet God in that place. But let me tell you, sometimes the most defining encounters with God happen when we find ourselves in places we don't want to be. 
Sometimes the most life-changing, identity-forming, defining moments happen in the places where we find ourselves. So like, I don't want to be here. I don't know how I got here. I know I'm going somewhere else. I don't know where it is. I'm stuck in this in-between place. And for some reason, God shows up in those messy, weird, awkward places, and he seems to do something really deep and formative in our life. And as hard as those places are, he begins to surface questions. He begins to reveal obstacles. He begins to talk to us about our life because he's kind like that. God doesn't avoid the awkward in-between places of our lives. He doesn't run away from the places that we have doubts about and questions about. He's actually quite comfortable with mess and dysfunction. God is kind like that. Kindness is such a childish word, isn't it? Like we tell preschoolers to be kind or we tell our two-year-old, don't snatch that snack, that's not kind. You know, like we, we use this word, it's such a simple childish word. It's not a word that we generally assign to kings and queens and people in influence and power. It's generally not a word that would have been defined, um, assigned to a deity or a god. And yet our god defines himself with this word kindness. In fact, it's how he introduces himself. In Exodus 34, we've got this scene where Moses is kind of like, the glory of the Lord's going past him and, and here comes God and like, hey, how shall I introduce myself for Moses? What words should I use? What characteristics do I wanna put front and center and say, hey, this is me and this is what he says. He says, the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger abounding in love and faithfulness. Man, that abounding in love, that is the Hebrew word hesed. And it is a difficult word to translate. There's no good one English word. It's often translated into compassion or a loving kindness or here abounding in love. And it appears 250 times in the Hebrew Bible. 250 times to say that God is a God of kindness. It's a central theological theme throughout scripture. This is the language that God chooses to describe himself. You see, any God in history and culture and mythology that people would have thought about, yeah, it would have been powerful, would have been eternal maybe, but rarely would they have thought of as being kind. And yet our God is kind, and that's what's so surprising, and that's what's so unexpected. And what we're witnessing right here in Genesis 16 is the kindness of God. Nobody expects the God of the universe to show up for a runaway in the wilderness. Nobody expects him to call her by name. The first six verses of this chapter, Hagar is talked about, and she is talked to, and all these decisions are made for her life, but not once do we see anyone use her name until this moment, until the angel of the Lord shows up and says, Hagar, he names her, he sees her. By using her name right here, he calls out identity, I see you. 
I know that, that everybody else objectifies you. I know that, that you are silenced and you are overlooked and, and everyone's making decisions for your life, but I see you as a person that has value. And not only does he say her name, but he asks her questions. Now, this is crazy. He says, where have you come from and where are you going? Listen, God, who does God need to ask a question of ever? Like what information does anyone ever have where God needs to raise his hand and go, I have a question. Like God knows everything. Like everything is at his disposal. He's not asking Hagar, hey, could you tell me where you're from? Because I'm a little confused. I've not been tracking. Like I'm, I've kind of been, no, God knows exactly who he, she is. He just used her name. He knows exactly where she's coming from. He's not asking for a geographical journey. This is a prophetic question to highlight this crossroads in our life. Where are you coming from? And where are you going? And what's so kind and beautiful is this. This is so empowering because it affirms her autonomy, her sense of choice, that she has an opinion, that she is a thought, a reflection. He asks her a question and gives us space. You know, God could have come in and said, yeah, okay, I'm God, and let me tell you about your life, and this is what you need to do, and this is what's going on, and he could have just objectified her and spoken to her just like she was nothing, but that's not the God that we serve. Our God is kind. So he comes in and says, hey, what's going on? Where have you come from, and where are you going? He sees her, and he gives her this opportunity to name it. Friends, we need to name the things in our life because there are some things that we can't heal from and we can't overcome until we name them. And this is this beautiful moment where God gives Hagar this opportunity to name where she's at. Where have you come from? All of us are a culmination of our life's journey, our history, our joys, our pains, our family, all of that, that's, that's who we are. That's what we bring to this moment. God wants to talk to us about our story. I wonder this morning, does God have permission to talk to you about your story, about where you've come from? Well, I already dealt with that. I've already, I like prayed that through and I'm good. But does God have permission to revisit that? And talk to you about that. Well, that's uncomfortable. Like, we don't talk about this thing. I'm just forward moving. I'm just forward moving. But what, what does God have permission this morning to talk to you about that? Because, you know, sometimes there are things about where we have come from that we need to face. And I think we're in this moment right here in this strange season, this in-between place. And one of the things that God is doing in there is he is unearthing and he is putting his finger on and he's bringing to the surface some things about where we've come from, about our families, about our stories, about the choices we've made, about our pains and our struggles and all of those things we'd rather move, we'd rather leave over there and move away from. God's like, I wanna bring those right here front and center because often where we've come from is hindering us from where we're going. It's often where we have come from that's hindering us to moving on to the next thing. 
earlier this year, I, very early this year, I started experiencing anxiety attacks. And it's, it's not something that was brand new to me, but it's something I hadn't experienced for a while. And after a few weeks and months of this, I decided, okay, it's time, it's time to go to therapy and to work through this. And I did, and I, I worked on, on my anxiety, and I learned that my anxiety manifests as responsibility. And I was always like 10 steps ahead, and I super responsible and uber prepared, but to a fault, because that was how I controlled and managed my anxiety. So I did a lot of work with my therapist around that got a lot of healing and a lot of understanding. And then this summer, God has had my husband Brian and I and our family on this crazy faith journey that, to be honest with you, I don't think I could have done with him if I hadn't dealt with my anxiety at the beginning of this year, if I hadn't tackled some of those underlying issues. I couldn't have stepped into the season that God has because so often it's those things from back there that are stopping us getting over there. And God's so kind I mean, he doesn't have to address that stuff. He could have been just like, Ruthie, deal with your anxiety. We're doing this thing. Just get on with it. But he's so kind. He's so committed to our wholeness and our well-being. You know, theologians agree that Hagar was probably somewhere between Abram's camp and Egypt. She was heading back to Egypt. There is an irony here that she felt that she could experience more freedom in Egypt than with God's chosen people. She was heading back to the place most likely where she had been purchased as a slave. We don't know why, but I think a lot of us can relate to the desire to go back to familiar places, to go back to places where we've been before, that we know, that feel controllable, that feel comforting, See, when we can't see a future, we run to what's familiar. You know, when the angel shows up to Hagar and says, where have you come from and where are you going? Notice that she only says where she's come from. And I think this is purposeful. I think it shows us she didn't think she had a future. She didn't have a sense of, I've got all these great options and this is what I'm doing with my life and this is plan A and this is plan B and I'm doing all these things. She couldn't envision a future beyond where she was at. And when we can't envision a future, we run back to what is familiar. We go back to the things that have worked before, that have helped us before, and we get caught up in those places. But God's so kind that he intercepts us in that moment. Where have you been going back to the familiar in this season? Where has the lack of certainty and clarity, where is the fear, where has it driven you back to the things that, the, the relationships you know weren't good, but you've gone back to them, the habits, the vices, the things, the strategies just to cope, what are those familiar things? And you know what, friends, I'll say this, it's not always the sin. It's just the stuff that doesn't belong in the new season. You see, there were things that we did back here. They were fine, but they don't work over here. And God's saying, I want to intercept your journey. I don't want you to go back to those things. You can't bring those things with you. I want you to leave that behind because they do have a future for you. See, God is kind like that. We know that scripture. It's his kindness that leads us to 
repentance. This is what his kindness looks like. It looks like interrupting our lives, maybe even just with this sermon today and saying, that thing, I have something better for you. Don't go back to the old familiar things. I have a future for you. There's one part of this passage that I know many of us find very difficult to swallow. And this is when the angel of the Lord says to Hagar, go back and submit to your mistress. Let me tell you what this scripture is not doing. This is not a scripture that we pull out and say to victims of domestic violence, abuse, people who have found themselves in toxic, damaging relationships. That is not a scripture that we pull out and say, look, you should just go back. Let me tell you, that's not only unloving, it's unbiblical. Okay, if you read through scripture, you see that God stands on behalf of the vulnerable. God says that we as people are supposed to stand against injustice and be a refuge. We're not to read the scripture and say, well, the angel told Hagar to go back. I guess you should too. Absolutely not. God's desire is not for anyone to be in abusive, dangerous, toxic situations. So don't read that into the scripture, but still, it's uncomfortable, isn't it? to feel like the angel is saying, hey, go back. But there is so much that we don't know about this story, so many unknowns, and we have to be careful. We have no idea what God is doing behind the scenes on behalf of Hagar. We have no idea what he's setting up for her. And so we have to be careful when we read texts like this to not project on, well, that seems so harsh of God. We just don't have all the facts. What we do know is that scripture tells us again and again and again that he's a God of compassion and kindness and goodness. Where are you going? The angel gives Hagar this promise. It says in verse 11 and 12 that I'll increase your descendants. He says that you're pregnant, you're gonna have a son, you're gonna call him Ishmael. He goes on and gives this crazy word about Ishmael being a wild donkey of a man. This promise would have meant something to Hagar. Number one, there was no sonograms back then. Hagar didn't know whether she was carrying a boy or a girl. The angel says, you have a son inside of you. In this culture, in this time, this would have been such a gift to her. To know that she was carrying an heir, a slave, a runaway that had no power. You carry an heir within you, you carry a son that promise would have meant something to her. Then the angel says, wild donkey. Listen, if if you were pregnant and you had a baby shower and I came in there and I said, I'd love to pray over you and I just gave you a prophetic word and I was like, I'm just seeing a wild donkey. (laughs) Okay, everyone would be like, note to self, don't let Ruthie prophesy over the children. Okay, like nobody, nobody wants a wild donkey prophetic word for their child. Nobody wants this kind of word spoken over them unless, unless you come from a culture where a donkey represented being unbridled and free and unoppressed, unless you came from a culture where you had experienced slavery and your whole life, everything was on you, oppressing you, and you had no freedom and you had no power. You see, for us, this sounds like a crazy word, but to Hagar, 
It was the smell of freedom. It was the smell of independence. It was like, my gosh, this is gonna be different from my child. It's not gonna be how it was for me. There's gonna be a sense of autonomy and strength and power. You see, God is in the business of changing our generational line. God is in the business of interrupting what we think is just always gonna be on repeat in our lives, in our families. And he's in the business of saying, you know what, I got a different word for you. I'm gonna do something different in your generational line. That's how kind he is, that he was changing the future for Hagar and her family. Listen. Hagar is in the desert as a result of Sarai's bad choices and Abram's bad choices. But you know what? God used it. God used it to bring about his purposes for Hagar. Pastor Stephen Furtick says that God will use other people's bad choices to get you to your destiny. God will even use other people's lame decisions, other people's failures, other people's brokenness, other people's screw-ups, other people's messes, other people's sin to get you to your destiny. Look, does he want you to experience that pain and that sorrow and that dysfunction? Of course not. But you know what? God is big enough that he'll use it anyway. It doesn't matter that your family was screwed up. You might think like, well, my parents failed me and I've just been set on this wrong path and everything's against me in this relationship. Like he walked out of me and she let me down and work overlooks me and I just feel so like abandoned and rejected. You know what? God will use it anyway. It's painful and it's difficult and he's with us in it, but he's so good like that. That's the kindness of God that not even your imperfect family can get in the way of your destiny. When we submit our lives to Jesus, when we follow him, he does this redemptive work because he's kind like that. God will use the most difficult, awkward, in between seasons of our life, when we look back and we say nothing good has happened here, God says, oh, I'll use it anyway to get you to where I'm taking you. You see, the enemy wants to hold you hostage to where you have come from. He wants to hold you hostage to your past. He wants to project onto you that you have no future. You have no options. Everything's fallen apart for you. You know, one time, a friend said to me, she said, Ruthie, I've had a string of really bad, unhealthy, not good relationships. Do you think it's possible that I'll still get to marry a godly man? This is the lie of the devil. That he will point at stuff about where we've come from, from our family, from our choices. And he'll say, oh, you think those promises of a bright future, you think those are for you? You thought the Jeremiah 29, 11, you know, the plans to prosper you, not to harm you, blah, blah, blah. You think that was for you. That's not for people that are divorced. That's not for people that have had an abortion. That's not for people that made bad choices in college, even when you were in Christian group. I mean, that's not for people that yell at their kids or screw up their marriage. That's not for you. This is the devil. This is how he comes at us. But we know, church, he's a big fat liar. You know that what he says is not true and can't be trusted. And he will come at us and he will say all these things disqualify you from a bright future. But I feel like this morning, God is saying to us, reality San Francisco, God is changing your generational line. God is redeeming. God is taking all the stuff that you thought 
disqualified you and ruled you out and everybody's decisions that messed you up and damaged you. And God is saying, I'm writing a different story because the kindness of God will redefine our future. The kindness of God, not our good efforts, not our perfect families, not our good moral behavior, but the kindness of God will redefine our future. In verse 13, Hagar talks to God. She says, you are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. God sees her and she sees God. Can we just marvel for a moment at the humility of God that he would allow a runaway slave girl to name him? God has no ego. God is not like, whoa, girl, I'll tell you what to call me. He's like, yeah, you name me. Let's have an intimate encounter and you tell me what you see and I'll take it. That's the humility of God. And you see kindness opens our eyes. When we have an encounter with that kind of God who's that humble and that God, good and that surprisingly kind, when we encounter him, our eyes are open and we're like, oh my gosh, I see you, you see me, I see you. And it's just like this beautiful thing happening. You see, because God sees the overlooked and the despised and the forsaken. He doesn't just see those folks up front who look like they're succeeding. He doesn't just see the people that are riding out COVID in their cool condos, living it up, feeling really great, not experiencing the restrictions. He's down and dirty with those that are struggling and wondering how they're gonna pay the next rent and how they're gonna keep their families safe and how on earth are they gonna school their children. That's the kindness of God. He sees the despised, he sees the overlooked and the forsaken and he says, that's where you'll find me. In the wilderness with a runaway girl, that's where you'll find me. And that's why we have to tell these stories. We have to tell the story of Hagar and Ruth and Tamar and Rahab and all of those in the scripture that may seem like small stories, but they're significant stories because they tell us something about who God is. And that's why this series is so important and so valuable. We need to just look at the breadth of who God is. Yes, he's powerful and he's good and he's kind and he's gentle, and he's gracious. See, we, we often tell the big stories, don't we? The Moses and the David and the Joshua. And don't get me wrong, I love those stories. I've preached those stories. They're so good. But let me tell you, we need to preach these stories too because God is the God of the weak and the poor and the stranger and the marginalized. And if we're not careful, to really dive into all of the characteristics of who God is and to read all of the stories of scripture. We'll tell the story of the God who tears down walls, but we'll forget that he's the God that pulls up the downcast. And we'll tell the story of the God that separates the seers and we'll forget that he's the God that pulls close the vulnerable and lonely and despairing. This is who our God is. He's kind like that. 
we get a New Testament peek at the kindness of God in Titus 3. Titus 3, 4 to 7 says, but when the kindness and the love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. Listen, Jesus is hesed, kindness incarnate. Don't tell me that kindness is for preschoolers or two-year-olds that snatch snacks. Kindness brought Jesus to the earth. Kindness looked around at all the brokenness and all the mess and all the screw-ups and said, I can do something with this. Kindness entered in and touched the lepers and touched the forsaken and healed the sick. Kindness climbed on the cross and held the weight of the sin of the world. That's not weak. That's not wispy. That's not childish. That's the kindness of God that held the weight of the sin of the world, and then went down to hell, took back the keys, put his foot on the devil and the demons and sin and death and said, I overcame you, resurrected, and then said to us, I've redeemed you. I've redeemed you. That's what kindness looks like. It's not weak, it's not fragile. It's transformational. We're going to move into a time of response, church. The worship band's going to come back up. I'm going to start playing. I know it looks a little different to how we've done things before, but don't let that distract you. They're going to settle into their spots, and we're going to settle into the Holy Spirit just for a moment. Because I believe that God has been stirring something in you, even as I've been speaking. Maybe you find yourself this morning somewhere you don't want to be. Maybe physically you are somewhere you don't want to be, but maybe in your relationship with God, maybe in your relationship with family or friends, maybe just within yourself, you're like, I'm in this weird in-between place. Maybe you're running like Hagar from pain and sorrow. Maybe you're confused. Maybe you're disoriented. Maybe you are making really big decisions for your future. And you're in this in-between place and you wish God would just hurry up and move you through it. But I want to speak to you this morning that what he's doing in the in-between place is forming you and healing you and ministering to you. And if you're there this morning, I just want you to take a moment, close your eyes, open your hands and say, God, you're with me in the in-between place. Maybe there's parts of your story that you have felt hostage to, that you just can't shake. It just feels like the promises and the bright future are for the people that haven't made those mistakes, that had a different story, that came from a different place. And maybe there's just this really deep place within you that just feels like you're not quite good enough. You're not gonna see the promise of God. And I just want to encourage you to close your eyes and lift your hands and allow the God who met Hagar in the wilderness come and minister to you and become to redefine your future, come to change that generational line, come to cut off some stuff 
<clears throat> I feel like even some of you that are under the sound of my voice right now, that even in the spirit, God is cutting off some things in Jesus' name to free you from where you've come from that's kind of been dragging on you and to launch you into where you're going. And maybe this morning you're just reminded afresh like I was studying this passage that God is so ridiculously kind. He's so kind. Father, we thank you that you didn't hold back your kindness, but you let it rip on the earth. You just let it like flow unrestrained through your son, Jesus. And because of you, Jesus, we get to enter in and we get to bring all of our story and all of our pieces and say, Jesus, this is where we've come from. And you're like, let's do something with this. I can work with this. I can redeem this. Oh, and I have this beautiful future. I have these dreams to restore and to heal and to have you make an impact in the world and in my bigger story. God, thank you that you're so committed to us. You are so kind. Church, let's just worship in response this morning.